So, um, some confession for just a few minutes here this morning. Uh, I've been a preacher for 12 years. I've had that title, um, preacher, all right? But just confession here, and I don't know if, I know I see some other people in the room who have, that you've worked in the church, or you do work in the church, or you do some form of ministry. Um, I'm probably going to maybe just, in I don't know, I, I'll just say this. I have, I've read the Bible for most of my Christian life so that I could do a Bible study or a sermon or some kind of teaching. I, I just have. I, I read the Bible sometimes, but I read it more when I know that I'm going to have to deliver a talk or teach something or lead a small group. Is that, are you guys okay with me being that honest? I said that very same thing in front of 10 pastors um, on Monday afternoon, and all 10 of us in that room were in the same boat. But what's happened, um, about, a, about a year, I, I struggle with putting timestamps on these things, but over about a year now, I have been reading the Bible, and I have actually been enjoying reading the Bible. It ramped up even more when I got a, a, tra- a study Bible, a translation that I really, really enjoyed reading. Imagine that, reading a translation that you enjoy reading or understanding. It would be like if you like science fiction, but the only books that you were ever able to read were romance novel- novels. You would never read them, would you? For some reason, common sense does not often translate in when we're running after Jesus, listen, yes, it does. He gave us our minds. So if you were told that you could only read a certain translation, and if you didn't read out of this translation, then it wasn't inspired by God, that's a lie. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. I prayed, and because my father hears my prayers for truth to prevail, whether you believe it as truth or not, truth will prevail. And so I found a translation that actually was a study Bible that I enjoyed reading. And I read it now to study and to learn and to grow. And here this morning is one of the discoveries that I have uncovered, found. I've been in church for a long time. But for some reason, I never wanted to go any further down the route than what God has shown me over the last several months. And what I found is like there's this opportunity. There's an opportunity if you so choose or not to emulate this model that is talked about here in the New Testament especially. Let me say that again, if, that, if I lost you on that. It seems to me, and this is just my findings, and you have to go discover this for yourself if this is what you choose. There's no forcing this on anyone this morning. There's no, you have to do this. No, there's none of that. But what I am seeing is that there is a choice that you and I and every human being that God ever created, there is a choice to emulate a model of a lifestyle 
that I have found in the New Testament. And obviously the model that I'm talking about is the man, Jesus Christ, here in the New Testament, God's son. It's all a choice. You don't have to emulate him if you choose not to. So when I read this New Testament, and I've been writing down a lot more, been typing things down on my computer a lot more. Here's just some of the things that I find. And this is real quick. You can jot these scripture references down and you can go read them for yourself. But did you know, and I've talked about this several weeks ago, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is the 16th verse. We have the mind of Christ. And I love, I love teaching on that because that dispels confusion for us right there. I'm in a state of confusion. I don't know which way to go. I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know. Slow down. Ask God, your heavenly father. Hey, God, what is it that you want me to do? You're going into a meeting tomorrow and it's one that scares you and you're confused and you don't know the outcome and you don't know which way it's going to go or which way it's going to be perceived. Or you have to go have a very difficult conversation. Hey, hey, God. Heavenly Father, Dad, whatever you call him, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to be? And what do you want me to do? Because you have the mind of Christ. And that's all for that. There's another one here. I'm going to read this one. I love this. John 14, 12. Basically, in reading this New Testament, I have discovered that I have the power of the Holy Spirit. You, followers of Jesus, have the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says here in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to send another counselor. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself right there said that you can do even greater things than these that I've been doing. We have the mind of Christ and we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that one verse has thrown a lot of people into debate How about if we stop trying to explain this away or weaken it of its power and actually take Jesus at his word here? Hey, God, there's going to have to be a lot of activation for this verse to be true. I'm going to have to start living way different than I have lived for 43 years if this verse is true. I'm going to have to stop talking and do more, not for a performance or to earn my salvation or love, but because I have the mind of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit living in me, I cannot sit in an office and put a bushel basket over my light. That's next week's sermon. What did your grandparents say? Lord willing in the creek don't rise. 
but I have the mind of Christ. I have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And and this one, I want to talk to the people. And I know I'm talking to Christians, people who have accepted Jesus in this room. I know that there are people in this room who have not done that yet. And let me just tell you this. This next one says that we can have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Look at it. First John chapter two, verse six. I'm sorry. It's that's in Philippians chapter two, verse five. Philippians chapter two, verse five says that we can have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And let me just tell you something. I miss the mark on that one often. And I don't, you can judge me if you want, but I miss the mark because my attitude often falls short of that of Christ Jesus. I don't get too riled up over Duke and Carolina basketball, all these football games that are going on. That's okay. I really don't care about these golf tournaments that are on. I don't get too riled up. I'm not going to put a rant on Facebook as I see some of y'all's Facebook. But I'm going to tell you what I do get riled up with, and I'm learning some self-control. But I, I eat breakfast and dinner with a basketball player that plays for one of our high school teams. And because I eat breakfast and dinner with him most days, like I, like, and plus I pay for those meals that he's eating, I've got some buy-in. And because like, I um, wiped his bottom and changed his diapers and brought him up for these 16 years, when, when, when there's not a foul called on him or I don't think it's going the way it should go, I'm going to yell. You hear me? And I know you can say that Jesus never on a fifth foul call that was a block, but the refs called it a charge. Jesus never stood up and took his flat bill hat off and threw it on the ground. He never did that. I missed the mark in way more ways than just that, my friends. I don't want to choose to sin. My father has said, you don't have to choose to sin. I have prepared a way for you that is perfect. Choose that. I oftentimes choose to go the opposite. But what I am discovering here is that even when I miss the mark, my father still loves me. And as I said to many of you last week, I am at a place in my life where I base today off of the fact that the cross is way more powerful than my sin. And there are some of us in this room who have never chosen Jesus as their savior. And one of the reasons is because you believe that your sin is more powerful than the cross of Jesus. And I am here today to tell you that the opposite is the truth. Yeah, I know that there's probably sin in many of your lives. I'm here today to tell you that Jesus set a model for us that every single one of us in this room can emulate We have the mind of Christ. We can think like he thought. The Holy Spirit empowers us so that you and I don't have to choose sin every day to give us fulfillment. 
You and I can choose the presence of God and conversation with God. We can choose him and him leads us into a path that is perfect here on this earth. Because I have the mind of Christ, I have the Holy Spirit. I can have the same attitude as him. Look at this one, 1 John 2, 6. He says that if you claim to live in him, this is John, pretty hard words here. If you claim to live in him, and that's what many of us, the majority of us in this room would do. I claim to live in him. You see what John says? Then you must walk as Jesus walked. Basically, that's to me, he's saying, you, you can live like Jesus lived. And so let me just cut to the chase this morning. My friends, that is my aim. That is what I'm shooting for. That is what God has called into my life. The desire of God is that Scott lives a life that emulates his son, Jesus. And so that is what I see as an expectation for every Jesus follower. Every Jesus follower has the choice to choose whether they want to represent and emulate God's son Jesus here on this earth or not. It's your choice. This is not forcing you to. This is not saying don't come back into this place if you're not gonna live up to this. I just see when I read the New Testament for more than just a sermon or a Bible study, what God is saying to Scott is that Jesus is the the guide and I've given you everything on this earth to live like Jesus lived. If it wasn't true, I would not have allowed John to write it in scripture. And so that's my aim. And because the cross is more powerful than my sin, when I do miss my mark, when I do sin, it does not knock me back to a place where I feel like I've got to start all over again. It doesn't put me back in the corner. I don't have to have a streak to get back to a good starting place. Here's what I do when I sin. Listen, I feel it. When I sin, when I choose to sin, I know it. And I apologize to my dad for choosing my way over his. Can I just tell you? And I'm going to just say me. I'm not going to, I've been praying. I have staff, intercessors praying in this humility and truth. And our worship guy, Andy, you know him. We were praying the other morning with staff and, and he said something profound that I'll never forget. 
He said, guys, we have to be very careful in talking about the past. Our forefathers, and I'm just going to say it, other churches that we have been a part of in a negative light because Jesus would never have had that conversation. I'm guilty of sometimes saying things that shines a negative shadow on some of our past. But let me just say, and I will take the credit for this one, I have also made sin more powerful than it actually is. And so I am walking in a season where I know that Jesus had to come and die for me because I am a sinner. And it was only through Jesus Christ that reconciled me back to my heavenly father so that I can have the relationship with him that I have now. But I also have to, for the rest of my life, tell everyone that I get an opportunity to that what Jesus did on the cross and what you did last night cannot even stand beside each other. So if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and there is sin in your life and you know it and you feel it, I need to tell you that God and his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they still love you. Here's what I do, Dad. I'm I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. And then I thank him for Jesus. If you're in this room today and and you have been hurt if you've been scarred by the church maybe even this one and maybe there'll be some people who stumble across this online and you'll catch it and maybe this church has hurt you I'm sorry Maybe you're someone in the church hasn't hurt you, but maybe somebody like me, a pastor, a Christian, maybe we've hurt you. I'm just going to have to say I'm sorry. Because we've not been hitting our aim very well. Or at least I haven't been hitting my aim very well. Let me tell you again, my aim is to live like Jesus. And if I'm going to set an expectation that is going to be a core of Hope City and this thing, whatever we ever call it, there needs to be an expectation because the New Testament yields to the fact that every person who follows Jesus needs to love like Jesus. Let me just say that again. I have missed the aim. And if that has hurt you or anyone else, I'm sorry. 
But my aim from this day forward is I'm going to love like Jesus. I'm giving up my right to always have to be right. I had a dear friend of mine just a couple of weeks ago, nearly 70 some years old. He said, you know what, Scott? We don't always have to be right. Because when I am right, and you don't agree with me or look like me or speak like me or even live out like me, immediately there is division. And I am right and you are wrong. And that's not the way Jesus ever intended it to be. But Scott, what about the Bible? You're saying you read the New Testament. You've even got uh, a translation that you like. Good for you. Um, There is definitely right and wrongs in scripture and you're exactly right but we've got to set people in their place we've got to set them straight on what's right and wrong you're partly right if they are a follower of jesus if they've accepted jesus and claimed that jesus is their savior there is a small section in our New Testament that talks about how we are to go to a brother or sister in Christ. And this is a very difficult word. I don't want to use it too strongly, but correct them. It's in Matthew chapter 18. You can read it. Verses 15 through 17. Many of you probably know it. It seems like we've been experts in this part for a long time, but we've been using it on everyone and it doesn't work on everyone. Because if they're not a follower of Jesus, this is not the rule. Let me just say, if they are not a follower of Jesus, it is not our number one responsibility to go to them and let them know what they're doing wrong. Do you know what our number one responsibility for everyone out here in our world that doesn't claim Jesus as their savior? Do you know what our number one role is? Somebody say it, love. Love. But if they're a follower of Jesus, they claim Jesus as their savior. There's, a, there's several other scriptures, but Matthew 18 is a good place to go to a brother and say, hey, listen, man, you know, like, whoa. But let me just caution you with that. We have ruined many of friendships and relationships with even brothers and sisters in Christ because we used the Matthew 18 model, but we went not in love, but in the flesh and not in God's timing, but in our timing. And so if you see a brother that you have a relationship with and he has a relationship with Christ, hey God, I need your presence and your power to go with me. And I'm not going with you, God, until I know clearly that you are sending me. I have another good friend who said that um, advice given to someone who is not ready or willing to accept it is criticism. Criticism. 
whether they're a follower of Jesus or whether they're the most evil person in the world, our number one priority is to love. Seriously, this isn't just because we're trying to be some popular church that welcomes everyone. Go read the New Testament. And look at what Jesus did and then emulate it. What about all these evil people out there? What about all these people? I mean, you got, you got, uh, listen, I'm going to offend everybody. You got the Democrats and you got, you got like Obama and, and you got Trump and you got even Oprah coming on the scene now. You got like all these murderers out there. It's evil and it's vile. You got terrorists all over the place. We got to set them straight. Love. That's hard. That's hard. So I'm going to go to the bottom of the barrel. As an example for how we're supposed to do this thing. Pedophiles. You're not going to let them in our church. No, you're exactly right. We're not. See, sometimes our sins have earthly consequences even when God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are still our number one fan and love us. Pedophiles. They're not coming in here. By law, they can't come within a certain distance of this place. And they're never going to hear a message like this. So what do we do? We love them. You mean to tell me I got to love somebody outside of the box from 11 to 12 o'clock on Sunday morning? Yes. This is not the only thing or place that we actually practice this stuff. Newsflash, you're bumping into all kinds of evil tomorrow morning. And I just hate to say this, But all kinds of evil could care less of what you have to say because they've heard it all before. But I can promise you something. We're going into a day and age where people long to see Jesus. I think that's why we Christians get such a bad rap. I'm not being negative about us. Listen, I mean... Not a newsflash that people say some bad things about Christians, right? You know why? It's because they keep bumping into us and not Jesus. I guarantee you 100%. I bet everything I got on it. I used to be a gambler in my former life. I bet everything I got that if this community bumped into Jesus every day, I'm talking about this Jesus we, we, we'd start to see a difference probably by the end of the week. So that's my aim. My aim is to go live like Jesus. My aim is to go love like Jesus. My aim isn't to grow this big church and fill all these empty seats and have all the money in the world and, and to do all of these things. My goal, listen, my goal is not even 
to see like miracles and healings and all these gifts of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about, the supernatural becoming the natural, that is not even my aim. My aim is Jesus and to live like him. I love this. I, man, if I've done your wedding in this room, I've probably read this scripture. But even this scripture means a lot different or means a lot more to me now. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 13. Every wedding in the world's had this scripture read at it. But what if it's just not for weddings? What if it's for your home? What if it's for you tomorrow in your office? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know why that is? It's because we've never taken the approach to be like Jesus or to love like Jesus. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor or surrender my body to the flames, but I have love or I don't have love, then I gain nothing. 